My name is Dale, and I am the care pastor here at Seabreeze, and I'm glad that you have joined us. It's my pleasure to be sharing with you today. Today is what is traditionally called Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the Sunday that immediately precedes Easter, and it's the beginning in the Bible. It records the last few days, that last week of Jesus' life as a human here on earth. The meaning of Palm Sunday is found in the story that often sometimes if you're looking at your Bible in one of the Gospels, it says the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and that's kind of how it's categorized or how it's, it's labeled there in your, in your Bible. But the triumphant entry of Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is kind of interesting is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record uh, all about Jesus' life here on earth. But they record different events that went on. There are some similarities, some, some overlap that they share. But this is one of those uh, accounts that all four Gospels actually share about. And to me, that really shares the importance of this. And there's a lesson for us to be learned. So this morning, I thought I'd take just a moment to kind of go back and kind of share what it meant, what, how Palm Sunday got its meaning there, and what was going on at this time. And I chose just two verses out of the Gospel of John from John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. And these, this is what it says there in John. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Let's back up just a little bit. Jesus, this is, as I was saying, this is at the end of Jesus' life. So for about three years, he had been going all around in the northern part and the southern part of Israel and his public ministry, and people had seen him healing people. They had seen him doing many miracles, had heard his teachings. And at this point, he just a few days before this, he had been at the house of some close friends, his friends Lazarus, sisters Mary and Martha, and they were in the town of Bethany. And so as he left that city, he and his disciples were walking toward Jerusalem where all the events of the last week of his life was going to take place. Jesus knew that, but not many other people really knew or understood. So as they were going this way, he told two of his disciples to go on ahead of the rest of the group. And for them, as they went ahead, they were going to find a colt, a, a colt of a donkey. And they wanted, he wanted them to bring that colt back to him. So he brought the colt and the, and the, the, uh, the mother of the colt back to Jesus. And as they did, they put their robes upon it, and Jesus himself got up onto the the colt, and made his way towards Jerusalem. And along the way, people that maybe had heard him speak in the last few days, people were seeing something was interesting was going on. Some people began to tell who this person was, what he had done, the things they had seen and what they had heard. A crowd began to gather. And as they began to gather, and as they were going into Jerusalem, the people began to sing his praises. It's interesting the song that Katie sang just a few moments ago. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King Israel is what they were saying. And they began to lay down their clothes for him. And they, the Jews, as was tradition, they would weigh palm tree branches. And they began to lay these palm tree branches down on the path in which they were going. Thus the name Palm Sunday. Now some of the Jews 
that were gathered there, they thought that finally their king had come. The Messiah that they had been looking for for a long time had finally arrived. He would be the new king of Israel. They had heard about the miracles, the teachings, the greatness of his life, and he was riding this colt into town. A couple things to note about this colt and what was going on, though, that may have been missed a little bit, looking back at it now, is that if he had been the political, the reigning, the governmental king that they were expecting, he probably would have not chosen a colt. He probably would have chosen a big white stallion that would have had much greater presence, much greater authority. But he chose this colt as a symbol that his kingdom was going to be different. It was going to be a kingdom that would be ruled by peace. It was not going to be an earthly kingdom, but a kingdom in the hearts of people. Another thing is that even the, the entourage, the group of disciples, the people who were following him as they were going into Jerusalem, none of them were princes or soldiers. They weren't dressed in shiny robes and jewels and crowns, but they were dressed in simple robes. They were wearing sandals. They were prostitutes. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. Unfortunately, many of the Jews, the ones that were laying down those branches, they really didn't understand the true meaning of what was going on. But Palm Sunday was going to reveal the kingship of Jesus, but not the type of king that they were looking for. They were searching for a savior, someone who could come in and straighten things up. They were underneath the rule of the Romans. There was a lot of oppression. They had, they had seen what he had done all the solutions he had provided for so many's life by feeding people, by healing the sick, by raising them the dead. And that's what they wanted for their city, for their nation. I'm sure if you or I had been there and we might have been caught up in this, sometimes we get caught up in following after someone for the wrong reasons, we might too have looked for him to be the person who was going to bring about an end to all the wars that were going on around the world, maybe the political struggles that were going on right inside their country, ending the poverty and the homelessness that might be surrounding us. We'd be looking for him to do that for our surrounding areas. We'd be looking for him to do things for us personally, eliminating all the stresses that we have, whether it be family stress or work stress or financial stress, whatever fears, concerns that we had. But what he did back then is that he was going to the cross this was a journey to the cross, a sacrifice for his life so that our, our lives could be transformed from the inside and not from the outside. As I was looking at this account over the last few weeks, thinking about what I wanted to share, and I was trying to think, what is it that I want to pull out of this story to share on Palm Sunday? And there was one thought that continued to resonate with me. And that fact was that Jesus, knowing what lay ahead of him, as he began that walk into Jerusalem and then the journey on the colt into Jerusalem, he knew exactly what was ahead of him. Yet, he chose to continue on. And the word that I continued to come back to was the only way to describe that was obedience. Obedience was the only thing that continued to move him forward, even though he knew that by the end of the week, all the crowds would not be shouting, Hosanna, blessed is this man, but they'd be shouting to crucify him. His friends would turn on him, people would deny him. And I'm sure that if you or I 
had been Jesus at that point, of that, on that Sunday, Palm Sunday, and going into the city, but knowing what was ahead at the end of the week, I doubt us any of us would have been looking for a cult to go into that city. We'd have been looking for a cult to go out of that city. We'd been trying to find a, a quick horse, an Uber, whatever it was, <laughs> to get the heck out of Jerusalem and go the opposite direction. But Jesus did not. He chose the path of obedience that had led him to this moment. He had been leading a life of obedience from the very beginning. A verse in Philippians 2, 5, 8 captures this idea. The Apostle Paul writes this to us. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul tells us that this is the mind we are to have. He wrote this to us. The mind that we are to have is the same mind of that, and that mindset is a mindset of obedience. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death. Jesus said, as I said, Jesus had been living a life of obedience the entire time that's recorded. There was never a time there was nothing. There's, there's so many examples through it. And I began to look back at some of the examples, and I wanted to look back at two that, that stood out for me, mainly because of where the first one is. It's the very first time we have any reference of Jesus as, as a young child speaking and it's found in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. Now, here's a side note. The Feast of the Passover that they went to when he was 12 is the same Feast of the Passover that's going on as Jesus is going into Jerusalem here this week on Palm Sunday. It's the same time period of the year, a celebration, a time of remembrance for the, the Jewish community. When he was 12 years old, they went up as they always did the feast. And when it was over, they left for home. This is Mary and Joseph. They were the group of fam family and friends. But the child, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day, and then they began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem for him. The next day, so this is several days later, they found him in the temple seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And the teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents <laughs> were not impressed. I love that line. That's, that, don't get hung up on that, but as a parent, I love that line right there. But his parents were not impressed. I lost myself there. They were not impressed. His mother said, his parents were, they were upset and hurt. His mother said, young man, why have you done this? Your father and I, talking about Joseph, have been half out of our minds looking for you. He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? As it says in another translation, being about my father's business. But they had no idea what he was talking about. So he went back to Nazareth with them and he lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly, deep within herself. And Jesus matured, growing up in body and spirit, blessed by both God and man. Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father's, how Jesus. 
his sign, his first sign of his obedience, that what his calling was, was to be about his heavenly father's business. Studying the scriptures, discussing the scriptures. The next time we have recorded of Jesus publicly is his baptism, which is definitely a great story of obedience. But just following his, his obedience to, to baptism is another story that comes out of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It's called the temptations you know, of Christ sometimes. So it says this beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Feed yourself. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written. Jesus referred back to what had been written, the teachings that were in the Old Testament. He continues on. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the word, the Lord your God to the test. Again, he pointed back, For it is written. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Again, for it is written, he had said. What Jesus was experiencing there in the desert, the temptations, was a temptation to that we are, it's very common to us too, and this is a great lesson for us of how so often we're tempted to meet, maybe it's our physical needs, maybe it's our emotional needs, maybe it's our, our spiritual needs outside of what God has designed for us. But Jesus kept pointing in the direction back toward what had been written, what had been taught in the Old Testament, using the scriptures of old, that regardless of what seemed right, what seemed right in the moment for the body, for the mind, no matter what the mind and body was telling, that obedience was still required in following God. The same is still true for us again. While we're not as perfect and never will be perfect as Jesus was, we as Christ followers are called to live a life of obedience. You know, the unfortunate thing about the word obey is, it really has a negative connotation. I doubt if, if there is a one of us that enjoys saying, I obey, and you fill in who that person be. Whether, I don't think we've said it when we were children toward our parents, we don't like to say it, we wouldn't want to say it in obedience to an employer, we don't like to, we, we struggle with saying it to the law sometimes, we hate obeying the law sometimes when it comes to the speed limit and things like that has a negative connotation, mainly because we view obedience only as just something that is forced upon us. It's a decision that we're forced into making. We're really unwilling to make it, but the only reason why we make that decision of obedience is because there's a punishment, there's a fine, there's something lost that we're going to get, and that's the only reason we do it. We don't do it out of, out of love or, or gratitude. 
Obedience does not come naturally to us. It's an action that has to be cultivated over and over and over again. I know if you happen to be a parent, that's probably not one of the things I have to tell you, that obedience doesn't come naturally. If you're a pet owner, I don't have to tell you that. <laughs> obedience does not come naturally. It's something that has, to be, that has to be cultivated. I remember as a junior high student, the one and I think maybe one of only two or three times I ever, ever was asked to babysit for someone. I saw this firsthand up front about what disobedience looked like. Next door to me was a family that their kids had grown up. I was probably about 13, 14 years of age. They were about four, six at this time, brother and sister. Parents asked me one time, they very seldom ever went off, but something I didn't remember what was going on, they'd asked me to come stay with their kids. Went over for the afternoon to play with the kids. The dinner was made, sandwiches were stuff were made. I didn't have to really do anything, just you know, a certain time, feed them lunch, and then a certain time, put them to bed. Sounds simple, right? But as I went over there that afternoon to spend the time with Craig and Tracy, they live in another state, and, they, and I didn't change the name. So, <laughs> uh, As I went over there, afternoon was, you know, at first it started off okay, but as the afternoon went on, I constantly found myself telling the brother, stop that, don't do that, don't hurt your sister, be nice to your sister, don't take that from her. You know, it was a constant thing. Not really, as I remember, not really much of any response, not much change in behavior either. As it came time for, for dinner to be, uh, for them to eat dinner, I remember it took, I don't know, it seemed like an hour, probably might have only been 30 minutes or something like that, to finally get the kids to come into the house. Kept telling them to come in, it's time to go, we need to do this, because I knew they eat, and then it was going to be bedtime shortly after that. Eventually they came. But the real showdown came at bedtime. And I can remember after request, after request, and you're talking about the youngest child of family. I never had to babysit anybody. I'd never been around babysitting anyone. I remember getting, the frustration was mounting both for the little boy particularly and me both. And he finally turned to me and blurted this out you're not the boss of me. <laughs> now, I've heard, I think you probably, some of you may have heard that statement before from me, a child. And I can remember thinking, that really sums up the whole day. <laughs> I'm not the boss. I am not the boss of him, and that's why he hasn't responded. You know, for, me, for him, I'm sure he looked at me as this nearly six-foot tall skinny, 120-pound, awkward, lanky teenager. My, my nickname in, in, in high school was Spider-Man because I was really tall, and I had, like a, I had a 28 waist <laughs> at 6'4 at one point. So as you can imagine, I think he looked at me and thought, ah, you just don't impress me. You are not, <laughs> you're not the boss of me. The thing that's true about this story as I share it is how often do I, not with my lips maybe, I don't think I've ever said it with my lips, but in my heart, it's what I say to God about things he's asking me to do, the path of obedience that he's asking me to walk on. I say, you're not the boss of me. 
I think I've got, I know, I know what's better. I know what would make me happier. I know I can handle this. I got it. And that's what we say, that you're not the boss of me. But that's not the kind of obedience that is the picture that, that Christ paints in the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, the, the, the picture of obedience is out of our love for God, our trusting that He loves us, and then we're acting upon it. A number of years ago, I heard a saying about obedience from a minister that I grew up with that I think sums up the concept of obedience the best. It is this. Our obedience is doing what God says, how he says, and when he says to do it. Our obedience is doing what God says, how he says, when he says to do it. Seems really simple, but it's really hard to apply. Let's break it down just a little bit. Our obedience is doing what God says. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. I love that last phrase, act on what you hear. The Bible is our obedience manual. The scriptures, the, the, the verses, the commandments, the teachings, they are our obedience manual. And then I realize often, so like, where do I start? You know, the first thing is just like you have this, the Bible, and it's like, where do I start? What does it mean to be an obedient follower of Christ? There's nothing but a consistent reading of God's Word that helps give us the direction, helps us gain traction in being, leading an obedient life. One of the best acrostics that I have seen, and it's a way of kind of capturing this idea of what should I do? What does it mean to be in being a Christ follower, of being obedient? What, is this, what does God want me to do? Is the acrostic that's kind of a little weird, but it comes from a Bible study book uh, that by Rick Warren. It's called Space Pets. Uh, it's an acronym. And it's, so it's a type of Bible study that's called Space Pets. And I will share you with you those. You can put these. I'm sorry, they're not there on your outline. You might can flip over your uh, outline onto the back there and write these down. But there are questions for us to ask that would help us know what the path of obedience would look like for us as we're reading God's Word. The first one is the S, a sin to confess. Is there a sin that I need to confess? As I'm reading God's Word, is there something that I read that tells me that I need to take care of something? There's something I need to confess to God. Maybe there's something I need to confess to someone else, something to make right. But is there a sin to confess? The P of Space Pets, a promise to claim. Is there a promise that I need to claim? There's thousands of promises in God's Word. We need to ask ourselves as we're reading God's Word or a particular passage, is there something in there that contains a promise, a universal promise that is for, for everyone? And am I meeting the requirements of that? The A, attitude. Is there an attitude to change? An attitude to change. Is there something that I need to be thinking about differently? Do I need to, to work on a negative attitude, to work on my worry, to work on my guilt, fear, loneliness, pride, ego? What is it? Is there some attitude that I need to change? The C, command to obey. Is there a command to obey? Something very simple, straightforward, something that I need to obey no matter how you feel. 
E. Is there an example to follow? The E, example to follow. Is there somebody, is there a, am I reading a story about someone, an individual, a person, a group of people, and is there something there, the pattern that they used in their life that I could follow that example? Maybe there's some example I should avoid. Is there a prayer to pray? All throughout the scriptures, there's prayers of Jesus, there's prayers of David, there's scriptures scattered throughout all the, and is there a prayer that I need to pray, and that's an obedient, even as the, the, the Lord's Prayer, as an example. The E, error. Is there an error to avoid? It's always wise to learn from someone when they make a really bad decision. You know, we don't have to make all the mistakes ourselves. We can learn from other people and see and, and avoid some of those same mistakes. T, is there a truth? To believe. Often we read something in the scripture that really we, you know, it's just a truth that we need to, to take in, we need to absorb, and we need to follow. Whatever it, says, it tells us about who the God the Father is, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the past, the future, other topics in the Bible. But is there a truth for me to believe? And then lastly, of space pets, is there something for me to praise God? Something to which praise, to praise God. In other words, is there is there something, a passage that I need, it shows me I need to be express my gratitude, my gratefulness for what Christ has done for me and how he's protected me. So that's the doing what God says in that little acronym. Once you flip back over on the other side now. The next part of that phrase, what he says to do, but how he says. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I want to focus on that phrase, and do not lean on your own understanding. Where you and I get into trouble <laughs> with God's rules, his commandments, and our obedience is we see what he says to do, but then we interpret what we think that means for us in application. One of my favorite things that... I picked up a number of years ago is this old wooden level. I was, went to a garage sale, yard sale, and saw it, you know, there. And I was just, I like, I like old things for what some bizarre reason. I have, I like, I have a stack of old windows. I love old windows and doors. But this level was really cool to me. I think for a couple of years, I loved it was made out of wood. It looked like it definitely had been used. Love the rusty pieces, metal pieces that was here. And I think, honestly, one of the things that attracted to me with tools is um, my dad. Made me think of my dad. My dad was a great woodworker, loved to work with tools. And after his passing, I think it was just like one of those things, even though this wasn't his, it just made me think of him, something maybe that he might have had. And so I, I had it. But one of the things that, as I've, as I've had this, and I, I shared this a number of years ago here at Seabreeze, about this this level was uh, the I've seen it see it differently now and when I see this level one of the things that it speaks to me about is the I, the concept of obedience now let me explain to that I don't know for me I'm not that necessarily the handiest person around the house a few things that I do tend to be more things like hanging 
something on the wall, a mirror or a picture or maybe some curtains. And one of the things that I've realized over time is that, you know, a level comes in really handy in doing a lot of those things if you have a, a desired result, a good result at the end of it. I remember uh, a few years back, I had uh, these four paintings that uh, I actually had painted myself, and I was going to hang them over our bed. And they weren't huge paintings, but I had these four paintings. And when, as I started, I did the number one thing, which is lean on my own understanding, which was I started off by just kind of eyeballing where that first one was going to go. If you're hanging one thing, you might be okay in hanging one thing. But when you're hanging four things as a group, eyeballing doesn't really work. It kind of lets you down pretty, pretty quickly. But I remember as I did the first, the first nail in and I hung that, well, when I got to the second picture, I realized, okay, I should probably get the level. You know, I should get a ruler and the level to make sure these look good together because I want them to look nice above the bed. So I got my level and got my ruler, and I measured out where the second one was going to go. The problem was, though, I leveled it kind of weirdly, kind of compared to the first picture. If you ever level something compared to something already that's already crooked, and you try to level it against that, you know what you end up with? Two pictures who are, are crooked. You don't end up with, you don't, it doesn't somehow magically compensate for each other. So you know, if you tilted your head just a little bit to the right, it looked straight. <laughs> so as I remember, as I started to do, so as I corrected picture number two and picture number one, I go back to picture one, corrected that one, did number two. When I got to number three, I realized, okay, not only now am I struggling with le level, now there's, no, there's not going to be the right amount of space. <laughs> I eventually got it by using the level, using it correctly, and got the four pictures. Now, Behind those pictures uh, <laughs> are a lot of attempts <laughs> at trying to get it right. And that's okay. It looks okay. You, you can't see it from the front side. And that's okay, I think, even partly with us and our obedience. There's sometimes, you know, we, ne we need to try to get it right, exactly how God says it. But we need to... We, we need to Make sure we continue to work on it, trying to get it exactly right. And one of the things that I, I love about the level, and I, I don't mean to insult any of your intelligence, but you know, the whole concept behind the level is not just like a straight piece of wood. It's this, this, this bubble. It's this piece right here that's the most important. See, that's what I kind of, I think I did on, on picture number two. I kind of just used, you know, the straight edge and was trying to get it, you know, where it was straight. You know, it seemed, you know, it fit, but then it was not straight. The thing about this, the bubble, is that there are two lines on each side, and the, the goal is for the bubble to be right in the middle of those things for you to be level. The interesting thing that I saw this, this week, when I pulled this one out, and I pulled out a newer level that I have, is that on the newer level, for whatever reason, the lines, there's actually a little space on the bubble. I don't know if you ever noticed that. You know, I, I never paid much attention this week. But on each side of that bubble, they're actually the line is doesn't is not right beside the bubble. There's a little bit of space. So you could still be, you know, you got to figure out where that bubble is and then still line it up. It has to be right in the middle of those. It can't be just to the left a little bit or that's the right or you're crooked. It's still inside the lines, but it's just a little bit to the left. 
the cool thing about this, this old level is the bubble is line to line. It's exactly line to line. I love that perfection. In other words, this is the level I think I'll use from now on always, even though it's a little clunkier than and, and some of the other ones, because the fact is the lines are there and it's exactly the level. That's one of the things that we as, as followers of Christ in, in obedience is doing it how God says. You know, Kathy mentioned a while ago in the announcements about our growth groups. To me, that's a part of, as we're trying to walk in obedience, that's the value of our growth groups here at Seabreeze is we have the opportunity to have other people walk alongside with them, and they can help us see where those lines are. Sometimes we're distorted because we're leaning on our own understanding, and those groups help us find that mark in the middle. And the last part of the saying, and when he says to do it, and when he says to do it. James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, continue on. It says, those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, they walk away, and two minutes later, they have no idea who they are and what they look like. That's not about age. <laughs> that statement is not about getting old and being forgetful. What that is about is, is just hearing it and making a decision to not act on it. I'll do that later. I'll put it off. I'll think about it. You know, I believe that God smiles when we obey him wholeheartedly and immediately. And that means doing whatever he says without reservation, without hesitation, without that internal, I'll think about it. Sometimes we say externally, I'm going to pray about that, you know, yet we know really what God wants us to do. There's parts of God's instructions I realize that sometimes may not be clear and they might be confusing again. That's the value of relationships of godly, wise counsel. But there are so many more that are very clear. Understanding sometimes can wait, but obedience can't. Instant obedience will teach us more about who God is and how we're to live our lives than hours and hours and hours and hours of discussion. In fact, I believe that our obedience to God unlocks our understanding. When we begin to obey, we begin to understand what he's telling us. Often we try, you know, to kind of have a partial obedience. We think it's good enough as long as it seems to be in the same direction. We want to pick and choose what we obey. We make a list of those things that we like and those that we want to ignore we think that are unreasonable, difficult, expensive, or maybe just a little bit unpopular. Let's just take, you know, the Ten Commandments. I think the Ten Commandments are pretty straightforward, but I think often we approach the Ten Commandments like, okay, one, two, three, okay, those say no other God before me. I'm not going to build any golden calves. I'm not going to use God's name in vain. Okay, I think I might could be, I could obey those three. Okay, number four, mm, okay, I'm not sure what that one means, keep the Sabbath holy. I'm not quite sure. Let me think about that one there. What does that mean to me? Then we start getting really to the really challenging ones. Number, f- number five, have you met my parents? Honor my m- mother and mother? How am I supposed to do that one? That one's going to be really challenging. Number six, okay, and I don't think I will ever kill anyone, but I do drive on the 405 every day back and forth to L.A., <laughs> So I'm holding out reservation on that one right there. I'm going to need a little mercy on that. And then 7, 8, 9, 10. Okay, I definitely, I'm definitely going to have to pray about those. In fact, I'm just not exactly sure really what you mean about adultery. What is that? And what's stealing? Uh, what's coveting? What's lying? Okay, 
you know, my friends and I, we've talked about these things, and we kind of have a little bit, we think, we think there's some wiggle room just a little <laughs> bit in these things. Now, let me say, an obedient life is not one that's about perfection. We'll not always make the right choices and do what God wants. But when we see, like my nail holes <laughs> on the back, that they're all over the wrong place, and I've, I've, you know, our actions mean not just to press forward and hang those pictures up anyhow, leave them up crooked, just to take out those nails that we put into the wall in the wrong place and put them in the right place. And that's called confession. That's called repentance. And then what it means is not necessarily, you know, trust me, I remember that day with those, those, those paintings. I wanted to take those nails out and just say, these are not going up on the wall. I took, the, took them out, I didn't hang them that way, but I didn't want to continue on. No, it's about confession, repentance, and then it's still about being obedient. Why? Let's say this, maybe you might have that question, why do I do this? John chapter four, 14, verse 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he, he, is, he it is who loves me. Our obedience to God, his words, his instructions, his commandments, is a demonstration of our love for God. God wants to see our obedience in the context of a relationship with him, a relationship of love, a relationship that trusts him, that he loves us, and then for us to act, which leads to obedience. Let me put this saying back up there again, but this time put it in a personal, not our, but my. Would you read this with me? My obedience is doing what God says, how he says, and when he says to do it. Let's pray together. Father, there are moment by moment, day by day, week by week choices that we are all faced with, choices that deal with our finances, deal with our relationships, deal with our heart, our attitude. Father, I pray today for myself and for my friends here at Seabreeze, that we would choose obedience when those decisions come. We would choose to do what you say, how you say it, and when you say it, do it, so that our life, while not perfect as yours, would be marked by a long life of obedience. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.